I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. Actually, I do know about you. You live in Northern Virginia, so you probably hate to wait, too. Kind of goes with the territory. After all, we all know time is money. Time is precious. Time is the only thing I can't order from Alexa at Amazon. We all hate to wait. And yet, turns out there are some things that we just can't rush. We have no choice. I think first, of course, about the idea of having a baby that just can't be rushed. No matter how eager we are to have that baby, we don't really want the process to take that much less than nine months. So it seems that in life, sometimes there are situations where we just have no choice but to wait. And usually that drives us crazy. We just can't, can't handle it. We go stir crazy. We try to figure out how to do it on our own. But the more we read the Bible, the more we come to realize that God usually doesn't share our sense of urgency. He doesn't seem to mind waiting. He does not seem to mind making us wait. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes, if you read the Bible, it's centuries. In fact, he seems to find value in making us wait. So the question becomes, what should we do when he makes us wait? When we pray really, really hard about something, and the answer is, not now. Well, the Bible's answer to this is quite consistent, and so today we're going to look at an example. We're going to talk about a time when King David was eager to undertake what was easily the greatest project he ever came up with for God. So how could he possibly have to wait? But then when he prayed about it, God said, not now. Our passage this morning is 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 1 through 10. Then David said, here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing. And cedar timbers without number for the Sidonians and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will, therefore, make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies." For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, 
and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, in the previous chapter in Chronicles, chapter 21, David had incurred the wrath of God by conducting an illegal census of the people. Such a census was against the law because it expressed a lack of confidence in God's strength. And so David was punished, and the nation of Israel was punished by a plague. And David saw the angel of the Lord preparing to strike Jerusalem. And God put that strike on pause, and through the angel of the Lord, he commanded David instead to make a sacrifice at a particular location, the threshing floor of Ornan, or Aruna, depending on how the pronunciation and the, the, how it goes. So David purchased that land. He built an, offer there, uh, an altar there, and he, and he offered sacrifices for his sin. And as this morning's passage begins, he realizes that this is the spot where God's temple is supposed to be built. Now, David loved the Lord, and he had good reason to. He desired above all else to build a, a magnificent temple to God that was going to be a wonder to the whole world. And yet for all of his energy, all of his enthusiasm, all of his passion for God, for all of his vision, when he prayed about it, the answer was, not now. We'll see in a minute, it was also not you. Now we also love the Lord. We also are eager to do great things for him, both as individual Christians and as a church. But sometimes when we pray really, really hard, God says, not now. And so we need to learn from David that when God says not now, we must prepare. The most important lesson of this passage is that when God said not now, David prepared. Now, God had raised David up from a, from a very humble position. He was the youngest of eight brothers. Right? That was pretty much nothing in that culture. He was a shepherd working out in the fields. And, and God had raised him up to be a mighty warrior, a national hero, a great poet, and a, an acclaimed musician. He wrote scripture, and he was a great king. God had helped him. He had helped him unite the people of Israel in a way they had not been united for centuries. He had helped him defeat all the enemies of the people and, and in fact, expand the borders of Israel. He had helped him amass great wealth and, and build a beautiful house for himself. And more than that, God had promised David that his descendants would reign over Israel for all eternity. This was a pretty amazing set of blessings that David had received in his life. And so naturally, he wanted to show his love and his gratitude to the Lord with, with every fiber of his being. And he had a glorious, God-sized vision for how to do it. David was, was troubled that he lived in a wonderful house while God lived among the Israelites in a tent. And so David prayed about building a magnificent temple. Surely this would be a great thing that God would be pleased with and he would give the green light for. But when he prayed about it, God said, not now and not you. Well, that had to have been 
a crushing disappointment. Because while his vision and his heart were right, it seems that a lifetime of conquest and warfare and bloodshed had disqualified him from building the temple of God. And we can only imagine the depths of disappointment. And, and, and when he heard God's answer, I think we would say, David had a number of ways he could have responded to this, this setback. Right? There are a lot of roads he could have taken, and many of them are ones that our 21st century American culture would applaud. For example, David could have said, I don't care what God said. I know this is the right vision. It's, I know it's honoring God, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And our culture might have said, man, that guy's got a lot of grit and determination. He's great. But God would not have agreed. And so David waited. David could have gone away angry, pouting and embittered that here he was, he'd done all these things for God, and instead the vision was going to be fulfilled by someone else. We might have admired his sense of injustice, that he had been wronged by God in some way, because he'd done such great things. Why should someone else get the honor? But God would not have agreed with this perspective either, and so David yielded his dream to his son. David could have just given up on the vision, right? God said, not now, so I'm not going to worry about it. He could have been content to just relax, kick back, put his feet up on the footstool. And we might have said in our culture, right, how often do we say, you deserve it, you've earned it, enjoy your time off. But God would not have agreed. So instead, David worked hard for the rest of his life to do what he could do in the meantime. And he did it by preparing the resources and the people who would eventually accomplish his vision in God's timing. Now, the passage is clear. David, over the course of the rest of his life, gathered enormous resources for this project that he was never going to get to build. Verses 3 and 4 says, David also provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates, and for clamps, bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number. Verse 5 summarizes, so David provided materials in great quantity before his death. And if you, if you read on to verse 14, you'll actually see what an enormous, I mean, you might even say ridiculous quantity of gold and silver and bronze and iron and stone and wood. David collected so that the resources would be there, right? Because even though God had said, not now, David understood that the time was coming, and the greatest thing he could do for God is to collect those resources so that they'd be ready. See, David prepared instead of pouting about his setback because he was fully committed to the vision and to the glory of God, even though he understood he wasn't going to live to see it. Verse 5 explains, For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord, listen to this, listen to his commitment to the glory of God, it must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the lands. This is how passionate he is about the glory of God. I will, therefore, make preparation for it. So even though God told David, not now, not you, he still wanted this project to be an enormous success one that would glorify God for the ages. And so he did everything he could to gather together those resources 
that would make it successful. And at the same time, he was gathering resources. He was also preparing the people for this project. Because projects are far more than just resources. He knew Solomon did not yet have his organizational expertise. So David used the not now, that season of preparation, to prepare the people of Israel for something great. In verse 2, we see him preparing workers. He set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. The next several chapters of Chronicles actually describe David organizing different groups of people within Israel to do the project and to serve once the project was complete. Most particularly, he's organizing the priests and the Levites who never had a temple to serve in before. They knew what they were supposed to do in a tent, but they didn't know what to do with a temple. And so he used his skill to get them ready for the job once it was finished. Perhaps most important, he prepared Solomon himself to be the leader for this project. Verse 6 says, Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. He gave Solomon the vision. He shared with him the importance of the vision. And then he spent the remaining years of his life teaching and equipping this young and inexperienced man to fulfill God's vision. And I want to hold David up in this case as a perfect model of how we should respond when God says, not now. Because he patiently prepared, he gathered resources and prepared people in anticipation of the day when God's not now would become now. Well, like David, Lake Ridge Baptist Church has been in a time of not now the last 15 months, a season of preparation. And we are very excited about the future of what God is going to do here in this community through this church. The glimpses we have seen of his will and his vision are incredibly exciting. I think many of us can sense, probably most of us can sense his movement here and the way he is working in our lives and working in this place. We have seen his blessing and provision for us in this season, and so we are so eager to move forward. And yet at the beginning of this time of transition, our leadership collectively felt God say, not now. That 2016 was to be a year of healing and rebuilding. And so God led us into a season of preparation, an extended season of preparation. And for some, that felt too long. But most of us believe that this was God's plan, that we are exactly where he intends for us to be, and that we have had the faith and the patience and the discipline to stick with it. And I want to take a little time to celebrate what happened in 2016, because in 2016, we were preparing people and gathering resources. God was working in powerful ways, some that we don't necessarily see very clearly all the time. And that's why I want to mention a few of the highlights, some of the ways, the victories of God here in the past year. And I know there are going to be more highlights that I'm not going to get to talk to, so please don't be offended if I don't talk to yours. It is not intentional. But most people want to go to lunch. In 2016, we formed the 2020 Vision Team 
to facilitate the identification and articulation of, of God's specific vision and will for Lake Ridge Baptist Church. And we formed a team and we trained the team. Then we prepared as a congregation with 40 days of prayer and intense Bible study. We held three congregational meetings. They looked at our past, our present, and our future. We gathered valuable insights into how God has worked here, how he is working here in this church and in our neighborhoods, and where he seems to be leading us forward. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk about the the writing retreat that the team had at the church yesterday and the process, what it's going to look like going forward this year. But God's vision is becoming clear, and it's very, very exciting. We did a lot of other things in 2016. We, We rebuilt our badly depleted deacon body, which was down to five active deacons, many of them rotating off. Now we're, we're almost back up to a dozen. Many who had faithfully served in the past agreed to serve once more, while four others who have never served in this capacity before have gone through the training. They have stepped forward. They've gone through the training. They've made the commitment. They stand ready to be ordained as deacons next Sunday night. So I want to encourage you, if you are in town next Sunday night, please come and be a part of this ordination service. Pray over them. Encourage them as they launch into a a three-year term of ministry and service to you, to God. It's a challenging time to run the race for three years. But it helps when you launch strong with the support of the church all around you. So I want to encourage you to come. Like the church, the deacons are going through, through uh, questions of their vision and their mission in order to most effectively serve and empower the church to serve the Lord and build the kingdom. Other things you might recall last May, if you were here, Feed My Starving Children. We contributed over 60,000 nutritious meals to be shipped around the world, and we, over the course of a three-day span, individually packed tens of thousands of meals ourselves. In 2016, we hired Philip, our talented young youth director. He has brought already a renewed energy and vision and direction to our refuge youth ministry. Uh, And at the same time, we have seen some excellent teachers and leaders step forward to support him, to join with him as a team to teach our youth the truths of God, and instill an excitement and a love for Jesus Christ. In 2016, our VBS for children and youth, our Sunday school, our team kid, all of these continued strong, even even as many new people stepped forward to fill gaps, to get involved in making disciples, living the Great Commission by teaching them all Jesus commanded. We have grown our Bible studies for adults on Wednesday nights. And now on a typical Wednesday night across all of our programs, children, youth, and adults, we we usually have about 120 people in this building either teaching or studying the Word of God. That's an incredible ratio. It's about two-thirds of our typical Sunday morning uh, turnout coming on a Wednesday night. In 2016, we laid the foundation for more consistent, integrated, and intentional outreach and care for our community. This is a way that God has really been working, because this process got started before the vision process, but it aligns perfectly 
Right? This was a passion on the hearts of many in our congregation. This is, this is going to be at the crux of carrying out God's vision for Lake Ridge Baptist Church. Similarly, groundwork has been laid for better visitation and follow-up with our guests. This is also going to be vital. In 2016, we, we righted our finances. We have rebuilt unity in our body. We have rebuilt other communities and ministries that had atrophied. If you were here last spring, I preached about the Acts 242 Foundation, six activities that every church has to be built on if it's functioning biblical New Testament church. Worship and fellowship, prayer and care, preaching and teaching. There is more to do. There is always more to do in each of those six areas. Some have more to do than others. But every one of them is stronger today than they were when we began this time of preparation. It's a foundation that I pray we will continue to build and reinforce for all of our days as a church, but it is a foundation that is now strong enough to build a church on that will advance the kingdom, that will live out God's vision for this community. Now, in 2017, I believe that God's not now is going to turn to now. I can't predict the future, but for everybody who has been waiting, whether you're waiting patiently or you're waiting impatiently for things to move on and things to change, I think this is the year in which we're going to move out as a church on mission for the Lord. It will begin with the vision. The team spent the day yesterday that was working to really forge all those God-given insights that you shared with us at these meetings into an integrated vision for Lake Ridge Baptist Church that is biblical to the core and yet captures God's clearly clear will for this congregation in this community at this time. It'll be ready for congregational discussion this spring. And the vision includes not only key values, but it really is centered around God-sized initiatives that will lead us into his missional future for Lake Ridge Baptist, a, a vision of being a powerful kingdom outpost right here in this community. The completed vision will then directly guide the pastor search process, which should become active in the next few months. That should go comparatively quickly because we'll be seeking one who can embrace this vision and shepherd us as a people as we all work together to build God's kingdom. Now, I'll be honest, there is a lot of work to be done in 2017. And I will be honest, there will be a lot of changes that begin happening in 2017. And some of you are probably like, yes. And some of you are probably like, no, but it's going to happen. Last year probably felt fairly familiar. It was kind of the same things we have done in the past, some of them better, some of them different. But this year is going to feel both different and exciting as we move forward into the will of God in a manner that is consistent with the way he has worked here. There are going to be changes that feel great, changes that are exhilarating. And there are going to be changes that feel disruptive and changes that feel uncomfortable. I say this because God seldom leaves his people entirely comfortable when he puts them on mission for him. And then once we embrace this vision as a church, 
then the ministries and committees and councils will begin to change and reorganize and realign as every person and every minister that is part of Lakeridge begins to truly work together as one team on one mission for the one true God. I think that's going to be beautiful. I think it's going to be amazing. But I can also promise you that as we begin to move out on God's vision in a way we haven't for a very long time, we're going to encounter opposition from an enemy who hates a church that is effective and focused and on mission for the Lord. So there will be difficult moments ahead in 2017. But I am excited about what God has in store for us. I think it's going to be amazing. Because this is the year that we are going to fully embrace God's will and vision as a body and become, become part of something so much bigger than ourselves. So our season of preparation is nearly over. Like David, we have gathered materials and we have prepared and equipped people. Children, youth, adults, congregants, mission leads, deacons. We have just a few more months of preparation ahead, so please be patient and prepare. Please continue to pray for this church. We're at a pivotal moment in the life of this church, in the history of this church. So, so pray for us, both individually and whenever you gather in groups. Pray for the vision team to clearly discern and articulate God's vision and will for the church. And, and pray that they do it in a way that is so accurate, so clear, so compelling, that as a congregation, we will truly embrace it. Pray that we can remain patient through this process. We've been a very patient church. Right? Hats off for that. But it can be tempting when you get to this point of any process to, to jump to the end, to say, ah, let me shortcut it. I know where we're headed, so let's just get there. So pray that we don't take those shortcuts, that we are faithful to the end. Pray for the pastor search process that will begin later this year. Pray for God's spirit to move in this church and in this community. Pray for the church and everyone in it, including yourself, right? Not just all them other people. To be ready to embrace God's vision and roll up our sleeves and get to work. Part of God's movement here in this community to the ends of the earth, building his kingdom and making disciples. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all of the many ways you have cared for and provided for us last year. We're grateful for this time of preparation that we had. We are pray grateful for the way you have worked to equip and prepare people and gather resources for this church. And Lord, as we near the end of this season of preparation, we pray that 2017 would indeed be the year you say, now go. I pray that we would be faithful, that we would understand and embrace your vision and your will. That we would be the church you would have us be. I pray that you would help us be united, that you would give us the discernment and the will to intentionally form together as a united body, one, one people serving your one mission. Lord, it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Even as we look ahead to this exciting future, 
We also take a moment to pause and reflect on why we do these things. Why we exist as a church. Why we prepare. What it is we're preparing for. We don't build a church up because it's fun. We don't reach out to our community just because we want to do good deeds and make some new friends. Everything we do is because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the eternal Son of God, sacrificed everything for us and then commanded us to go out and tell people about Him. We do it because in our sin and our misery and our failure, Christ stepped into this world and chose to pay the penalty that all of our sin deserved. Terrible death. He wasn't just a great teacher or a wise sage or some moral leader. He was God himself, but he volunteered to die for us. He volunteered to die so that you and I would not have to. He was beaten and mocked. He was spat on and whipped. He was nailed to a cross to suffer and die for us because we have each sinned. Because we each deserve an eternity separated from a God who loved us too much to let that happen. Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood poured out for us. So through faith in him, we might have our sins forgiven forever. Our shame washed clean. That we might have new life in Christ, a life that lasts forever. This is the truth that unites us. This is what makes us a church. This is what we must eagerly share with an increasingly lost and broken world outside our doors. This is what is at the heart of our vision for the future, but for now we pause to reflect on it and and remember it and give thanks for it. We pause to symbolically experience Christ's death by coming to the Lord's table to share in the Lord's Supper. In obedience to Scripture, I urge you to take these next few moments to reflect on what we're about to do, to confess, to repent, to remember, to rejoice, to discern the body of Jesus, both his physical body hanging on the cross for us and his figurative body, the church that gathers all around you this morning at the table as faithful Christians have done for 20 centuries around the world.